Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go right back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, and thanks for hanging in, guys. I really appreciate that. Raider T wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Raider T? How you doing, Vinny? I'm good, man. Thank you very much. Hey, I wanted to follow up about the draft. I got a couple points. Number one, um, I definitely wouldn't be upset if they take a, a right tackle and then a safety in the second round. But I heard an expert on this uh, lunchtime with JT, and he was saying that both Vera Tucker and Trayvon Jenkins, he likes better than Derrishaw for whatever reason. Um, so I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I got to say, if you can get a you know, difference maker linebacker, playmaker really changes the the momentum of the game, you know, if Micah Parsons falls to us, I like that. And even if we can get a guy like um, Trayvon Mooring because he's such a, a center fielder and difference maker at the safety, which we haven't had in forever, I say you go with that because you've got a second rounder, two third rounders, and I think you could find both a uh, tackle and a um, a linebacker. You know, you got guys like Nick Fulton. You've got the kid out of Tulsa, I think, Zayvon Collins. So I think you, you can find a, a, a linebacker at that position. And in terms of a right tackle, like I said, I respect those guys in the first round. But, um, you know, you can get quality linemen uh, in the mid-late draft. You know, just looking at the Raiders, two guys that jump out at me is they drafted Jared Valdeer in the third round. At, and he was at a Hillsdale College, which when they, they said it during the draft, I thought it was a community college somewhere. So it wasn't like he was from a big program like Ohio State or Michigan or something. And number two, Barry, uh, Barry Sims, who was an undrafted free agent who started at left tackle. For Both those guys started at left tackle. And his first game was against um, Bruce Smith of the Bills, and he held him to no sack. So I'm not saying that, you know, um, it's easy to find that. But I think if you can go and get a playmaker, you can do that and see what you can do at right tackle and linebacker later or uh, – um, you know, later in the draft, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, um, yes. If, 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 uh, if the reason that you're doing that is because you, you know, you feel like you got to go get Micah Parsons, uh, then absolutely. And, and, you know, maybe in that second round, you either take the tackle or you take that, you know, free safety. I think at some point you got to really address those two positions, uh, relatively early in the draft. And I'm talking about second round, third round, um, and, and so like, and even if you wanted to, let's say, get Richie Grant in that second, let's say Micah Parsons at 17, uh, let's say Richie Grant at, uh, 48, uh, now you're talking about, all right, where to go in terms of the right tackle, um, with that third round pick and a couple things you can move up a little bit further in the third round. If there's a guy that you feel like you can't let this guy, uh, escape our grasp, uh, in this third round, but some names that, you know, that, that I think are going to be there. Uh, in that third round, uh, Dylan Radnuds, Rad Uns uh, from North Dakota State. Uh, I really like. Here's a name, uh, and you know, just doing some uh, some some research on him, uh, even with some people over there in Henderson. But Spencer Brown uh, from Northern mm-hmm. Iowa, who really caught my eye at the Senior Bowl, big six foot nine athlete uh, from from Northern Iowa, who tested off the charts athletically. Um, is he going to step in day one um, and, and, and be an NFL starter? I can't say that for sure. 
coming from where, you know, the Northern Iowa level of play that he played at. But you just look at him and you see the work ethic, you, the intelligence is there, the athletic ability without question is there. He's just a guy that, you know, um, was was probably playing, I don't want to say the middle of nowhere in, in, in Iowa. I don't know that to be the case. But, you know, sometimes guys like that fall through the crack, especially in high school. He was a zero-star recruit coming out of high school. So something was up. You know, somebody overlooked him. Or maybe he just wasn't quite there physically coming out of high school. But obviously he had the frame at six foot nine, and he was a basketball player. But th- along those lines... Um, yeah, I think you can wait a little while to go get somebody in that third round, perhaps, uh, to, to, to play right tackle and play right tackle right away. Uh, it's they're, they're, This is a really good draft for that position. So if Michael Parsons is there and you want to make sure you get your free safety in the second round, no question, you can, you can find a tackle in that third round. And as you mentioned, maybe even beyond that, because there is precedent. I don't think you want to push it too far. And I think Derek Carr would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Go get me that right tackle. <laughs> you know, uh, this is a big year for him, and it's a big year for that offense as well. You don't want to take a step back from that offense. That often, I know that they patchworked it last year. I know that Tom Cable made it all work. Uh, but there were some moments, I'm thinking about like that Atlanta Falcons game where they got overwhelmed uh, on that defensive line by speed. And uh, there were some backups playing in that game, if I recall. So, you know, you, you don't want to leave yourself too vulnerable. You want to make sure you have a solid answer, um, you know, uh, right off the bat uh, at that position. I appreciate the call, uh, Raider T. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Sean wants to talk about uh, the Raiders. How are you doing, Sean? Hey, Sean, you with us? Sure. I got you, Sean. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing really good. Thank you. Um, so I was, as I was explaining to DeMond when I called it, I'm on the East Coast and I live in Tennessee. So yep. um, while I'm at work, I, uh, I listened to the day before, you know, so I don't play it until I get to work. That way I have something to do, you know, kill time. So I was uh, piggybacking off the John Gruden comment from yesterday, I think. And uh, I'm totally with DeMond on all this. Even uh, last week when he was freaking out, he has all the right reasons to freak out. Um, Jonathan Abram. To freak out? Yeah, he, about all of this, what John, uh, John Gruden has done since he's got here. The narrative. Well, first of all, I hear I hear Demond uh, clapping. I'm glad that he finally admitted that he's freaking out. <laughs> Thank you for. Uh, I, I've been I've been freaking out since we got him. See, I'm also a Florida Gator fan, and I live in Tennessee. So everybody I know likes the balls. And before Gruden signed with the Raiders, there was a little talk going around that he was going to go back to Tennessee, and I prayed that that's where he was going to go because I knew what was going to happen. So when he was uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, when he left up until like three years ago, they had just got out of debt and everything from when he was there and put them in such disarray that they just dug out of this hole like, I want to say, three years ago. And um, so, so and you draft Damon Arnett, who's, who's going to be 25, going into his second year who was injury prone who had a problem with his wrist 
and you take him in the first round, okay, that makes absolutely no sense, especially when he was like the 20th corner that year. Like, there was no need to take him anywhere near the first round. And then Jonathan Abram is a box safety who had to transfer from Georgia because he couldn't guard a statue and went to a JUCO college. And then just by one practice day, some coach seen him laying somebody out and said, we'll give him a shot at Mississippi State. Like, that's not a and, – and you say all the time, safety is undervalued in the NFL nowadays, and you don't ha- necessarily have to think that highly of a safety. So if you say that and believe that, just what I just told you off of Abram, why do you take him in the first round? Well, uh, you, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I'm not so sure that I'm buying your whole reason why Jonathan Abram left Georgia, like because he couldn't guard a statue. That's like saying Justin Fields left that's Georgia. Not, that's for, the article. I'll check out that article. Why Justin Field? Why did J- Justin Fields leave uh, Georgia? There was probably somebody that was playing in front Justin of him that he, wa- he wanted to because he couldn't uh, beat out the quarterback that was there. It was yeah. and and okay. No, let me ask you this: Was that the right decision by Georgia, or do you think that maybe they would look back and say, "Yeah, we probably should have done something differently"? No, I mean, just because. At the time, of, well, they, no, at the time, uh, the quarterbacks they had were just fine. I don't want a quarterback that's not going to fight for his job anyway. So no. That's are perfect. you saying that you'd rather have Justin, or you'd rather have? I'm trying. I'm drawing a blank on the guy that the, he was with the Buffalo Jake Bills. Now. He, what's that? I think it was Jake Fromm or Jacob Eason. Yeah, one of the I, I, yeah, and, and, and I get that you play your guy, and he was the senior or whatever. He was the the upperclassman, but but Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Jake Fromm. So uh, what I'm saying is, just because he left. Didn't mean he's a. It does obviously doesn't mean that he's not a good player. Uh, and and same thing with Jonathan Abram. So Jonathan Abram was a first round had a first round grade by a lot of teams. So um, Jonathan you know, Abram uh, the, was like the seventh or eighth safety, and he's a box safety. And we already had a strong safety. We needed a free safety. So like, there's like ten reasons you should not have drafted him, and you did. And I don't understand. And then you want to say that Gruden doesn't he is play, but he is playing, play. and and yeah, he is he is a box safety. That's the position that he's going to play uh, in this system. A I can't box speak for who can't tackle. Uh, What's that? He, he a box safety who can't tackle. He just swings his body around. He doesn't even look at the guy half the time. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, like, we'll see. I don't. I you know, I'm looking at the coaches that were that were hired in 2018, and okay, okay. let's see, Steve well, Wilkes. Well, Matt Patricia. Was the- I'm looking at the coaches that were hired in, in 2018, and I'm just trying to figure out why you'd be freaking out right now. The Raiders have made progress since 2018. I think this roster has been completely overturned. There's some good, promising young players on defense. They're they're in a position to add to it. So I, I, this is what I don't get. I don't get the freaking out part of it. Like I know you're not satisfied, nor should you be satisfied. Neither is John Gruden, for that matter. Neither is anyone over at in Henderson. But to freak out, I think that's a bit excessive. To be honest with you, I don't think that. I think when you're when you're three plays essentially away from making the playoffs, when you're when you when you're in a position to win three games with the lead with about a minute left in that game, and your defense wasn't ready to make those plays uh, and get the job done uh, last year, 
when you're that close to being that kind of a team, to being in the playoffs, literally in the playoffs, I don't sense that there's a need to freak out. I think it's what I think it needs to happen is just figure out what needs to be done and do it. And I think that that's what John Gruden is doing. I don't, this whole thing about freaking out, you got to change. It didn't happen in three years. So you must make the, you know, you know, must make uh, the changes. If the Raiders were getting their, their doors blown off game in and game out last year, I'd be with you. I'd be like, you know what? This is obviously not working, but they were competitive in every single game should have won three more games uh, than they did should have probably been in the playoffs as a result of that. If this was a team that was getting, you know, destroyed week in and week out, wasn't competitive, was running around, you know, uh, looking silly, I'd be with you. I don't see that, though, in this team. So I don't see the need to be freaking out over that. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like freaking out. I think if you're the Jets, you should be freaking out. You know, that obviously wasn't working with Adam Gase in no way, shape or form. That's when you freak out. When you have situations like that, you freak out. I think where you are with the Raiders right now, keep plugging away and get it fixed. I think they've narrowed down their needs. I think they've narrowed down their issues to a very, very, very manageable level. And obviously you have to close the deal now. You have to close those issues but they're much closer than people think. And in no way, shape or form, I just disagree. I don't think you ought to be. Um, uh, I don't think we ought to be. You ought to be as, as fans. It doesn't matter to me whether they win or lose. And that's the God's honest truth. But I don't think as Raider Nation, and I'm calling it from a non-fans perspective. I'm calling it from I've been around a little while. Uh, I'm looking at this thing logically and practically and not emotionally, I think you're way a lot closer than you possibly think. And I, I, I talk to people around the league who feel the same exact way. It's not that far off. You don't blow it up. You don't make, uh, you know, crazy changes just because it hasn't happened yet. You assess the situation. Honestly, what need, what do we need to do here? That's what every great organization does. All right. What's, what was the issue? If you look at the issue last year, it was a defense that that wasn't ready to play on a week out, week in, week out basis. Good, solid football with ob- some obvious deficiencies. They couldn't get after the quarterback um, uh, consistently enough. And they had, to me, a very young secondary that was either hurt at times or not ready to make up for a defensive line that couldn't get to the quarterback. I think the Raiders made some shrewd moves in addressing that defensive line and potentially uh, increasing and enhancing that pass rush. Uh, and I think that's going to benefit that, that uh, secondary. I think the influence of Gus Bradley, I think whatever new additions they bring now uh, through the draft on top of what they did in free agency on the defensive line, I think this defense is going to be in a much better position next year to close the deal in the type of games that they couldn't close the deal on last year um so we'll see but freaking out no nah, man i don't uh i don't i'm not buying the whole freak out thing freaking also for the what, record i would want to say i that? was not freaking out i was just offering valid points you were clapping when he said i'm with i'm with devon i'm freaking out over here oh, like, well you know i just i just clapped because <laughs> i heard my name there okay there you go there you go but <laughs> yes but yeah i love the attention I, <laughs> yeah and i i'm exaggerating your uh your, your level of freak out. But, but when I do hear freaking out, 
it's not the time to freak it out. Now, if, 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 if we're having these same conversations this time next year, then I think there's, um, you know, okay, let's, let's, it's time. It would be time to really reassess things. Uh, but I think it's worth letting this marinate a little bit longer and letting things unfold a little bit longer. You're talking about draft classes that are just getting into the swing of things. Um, you know, it, th- things can be a little bit deceiving sometimes, and I'll t- and, and, and I'll say it because for, for these reasons, um, some teams, you know, you get a, a first round pick or a, a hot shot rookie that you plug into a veteran team, and it, it he fits right in, and he's doing good on a good team, and it looks great, and you're wondering why didn't th- this team get that guy or that team get that guy, um, but you put that same player in a much, maybe in a different situation in a much younger situation or not as much talent around, uh, around them. And, and all of a sudden, even they look a little bit differently. Well, when you look at the Raiders, these last couple of years on defense, uh, it's there's, there's been holes on the defense uh, that they've been trying to deal with in free agency and in the draft. Uh, think about it. Think about how many new faces were on this defense last year or first or second year players. All right, let's count them. Corey Littleton, Nick Kwiatkowski uh, were uh, uh, two two newcomers. Damon Arnett was a newcomer and a rookie. Uh, Clee Farrell was a second year player. Max Crosby was a second year player. Uh, Billy Collins was a newcomer. Um, there wasn't a third. You know, Nicholas Morrow had to, had to come in and, and, and win that third uh, linebacker uh, position. Jonathan Abram was coming back from playing a half of his rookie year, the starting safety. That's a lot of turnover and newcomers and youth in a collective unit. It's one thing to put Clee Farrell on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now, uh, you know, on a veteran defense or an older defense with, with uh, wise, older, productive veterans around him. I think you'd be looking at him in a different light, but he's being judged in the situation that he's in around what was a lot of young players last year. And a lot of, and on top of that, a lot of newcomers last year, it just, it was a bad situation for that defense. There was too much working against it. Um, You know, from, from the youth, the inexperience, maybe there were, to me, there were some coaching issues. I'm just going to throw it out there Uh, defensively. Uh, there was no foundation set in the offseason. There was a condensed training camp. It was just a wacky year. You know, Jonathan Abram, you talk about Jonathan Abram, there would be weeks where he wasn't even allowed into the building because of contact tracing and then had to go out there and play on a Sunday afternoon after very, very minimal uh, preparation. You can't just throw that out with the, with the watch. You can't just overlook that. You can't just gloss over that. Uh, it plays a role. It played a role in how he actually and how he played uh, on Sundays. Uh, I'm not trying to make excuses. These are valid explanations. Now, it's on guys to get better. There's no question about it. But you have to give it time for guys to get better. You can't expect it to happen overnight for every single young player on this team. It doesn't work that way. Give it a little bit more time. We haven't even talked about a guy like Henry Ruggs, who has the ability, the athletic ability, the speed to be a game changer uh, type weapon on offense. He's just a baby. Let him grow up a little bit. Let him develop a little bit. Let him get his feet wet. 
especially in a regular type of a season. Uh, and, and, and before you are in such a rush to judgment, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bonnetar. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Wednesday here in Las Vegas. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embotter, our great sponsor. Uh, some exciting things uh, going on uh, with uh, with the I can't wait uh, to share it with you guys. Uh, it's all in the works, and um, I'm sure uh, you're going to um, uh, be as excited as I am uh, when you hear what uh, everything that's that 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 is in being planned and uh, getting ready to roll out here uh, pretty soon. So we were talking earlier about you know this whole thing with uh, with OTAs and um, you know some teams their resistance uh, to participating in the on-field uh, portion of, uh, of, of OTAs. Uh, just to kind of sum up, today the NFL um, you know, put out a memo to all the NFL teams. I got a copy of it uh, this morning, kind of scoured over it. Uh, there's a series of adjustments that they've made to the normal format of OTAs, um, one of which is phase one, which used to run two weeks, is now uh, being moved to four weeks. And I think part of the reason for that is uh, to, to hold off on the in-person uh, aspect of it. And when we're talking about the in-person aspect of it, what we're really talking about is guys getting onto the football field as a group, as a unit, as a team, uh, in person at the team facilities. Now they're going to hold off on that for about a month. Uh, it's May 17th, I think, is when Phase 2 gets started. And in Phase 2, uh, you can have coaches and players on uh, the field. That's what players uh, on some teams, the Denver Broncos, the Detroit Lions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the New England Patriots, uh, in statements, that's what they were opting to not take part of. Uh, uh, preemptively, before the league really set out a format for this year. They just said, Hey, we're not doing it. We're not going to participate in the on-field, uh, in, in-person on-field, uh, portion of OTAs this year. We're just not going to do it. Why? COVID-19. Uh, we have, we still have concerns about COVID-19 in Michigan. Uh, the, you know, the Detroit lions brought up, uh, some of the, um, you know, infection rates and numbers, uh, in Michigan, same thing, um, with the Denver Broncos. And, and I get all that. And I understand all that. Um, I'm a little dubious on that rationale. Uh, a couple of different reasons. One, players are going into the building as we speak. They're allowed to go into facilities to work out in the weight room under supervision from their weight and training, you know, the strength and conditioning coaches. They're allowed to go on the field if they want um, and, and practice. Not with You're not allowed to have footballs out there. Um, so it's just kind of... Uh, you know, agility work and, you know, if you're an offensive lineman getting into your stand, you know, all the all, all the stuff that you can do without a football and without coach supervision. And I guess what I'm saying is 
they're already going into the building. They're already working out in, in groups. Uh, Raider players go to a park for crying out loud, um, you know, uh, here in Las Vegas. And, and it's, it's pretty deep, pretty, pretty good amount of players are out there uh, throughout the week to practice. And, and, when you, and when you do it voluntarily and you go to a practice field somewhere and here in Las Vegas, they, they've picked out a couple of parks that they go to, you're allowed to do whatever you want. You can bring a football. There, it's a free country. You can do that. You just can't use a football in the building um, by NFL rules at this point of the season, at this point of the calendar. So I guess what I'm saying is if COVID-19, if that was the real reason, why are guys out there doing anything at all? Why are guys, it's, it's documented that dudes in, 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 in Denver have been going to their facility for, to work out in the weight room and to get on the field and do their agility work uh, in groups. So, okay, but I'm not going to sit here and say that isn't the reason that they're not participating, although I'm dubious about it because other actions uh, indicate other feelings. And, um, it, but it is what it is. I think this is more of a ploy, a negotiating ploy, uh, especially after the NFL expanded from 16 to 17 games. I think players were not happy about that. So they're going to push this one to the hilt a little bit to try to get something in return. Uh, that's usually how it works uh, with negotiating. Um, so, um, that's kind of, you know, how it is. Before I get to my next point, I want to go out to the Raider Nation listener line because uh, Raider Dave in Denver wants to talk uh, about the Raiders. And Raider Dave, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but but there's Bronco players that are going to the facility, right? I mean, this whole thing about they're not, they don't want to go into the team facility because of COVID-19 concerns. They've been going into the building uh, there in, in Denver. Am I right? Well, I think some of them are. You're right. There has been a bunch of upheaval about the Broncos, at least from the fans' standpoint, on the team to win, of course. And, you know, the players, whether it's across the NFL or not, I think are, and I agree with you on this, that they've got a little bit of a retaliatory mode. Of where can we stick our foot in the door? Where can we go ahead and pound our foot down about the 17th game? And I think you're right about that. And, and I you know, the fans here are up in arms about it. The media is defending the heck out of the players. So, you know, I have the laughable luxury of being able to listen to Bronco Radio a little bit. And one of the things that I wanted to mention was there's such an argument about trading up or trading down. I think it might even bring into play another team that the Raiders could trade up with at nine because there are so many holes that the Broncos need to fill. And although they have a new GM in his first year, but Elway's still in the building, they have been such an economic team. They've really never spent hard on anybody except Peyton Manning. So I think if they're, if the Tiger doesn't change his stripes or the Appaloosa doesn't change their spots, I believe that they are more in tune to trade down because I don't believe any quarterback is going to be reachable to them. Uh, but you're right. I, I think the players can come in and out, and, and they have, although some of them are saying that they're not going to do the OTAs. Yeah, uh, there was uh, a, a player for, um, let's see who it was. It was uh, Alexander Johnson uh, from the from the Broncos uh, tweeted, uh, hell nah, I'm not with the COVID-19 excuses. Um, that was his tweet. And, you know, he's he's uh, he's, he's going to, you know, comply uh, with his teammates, but he's, he's saying, nah, it ain't for COVID-19. 
uh, that they're not doing this. Uh, there, there's, there's other factors, uh, you know, uh, in play. And um, real quick on your, are you, are you suggesting that the Denver Broncos might trade down with the Las Vegas Raiders? I think it'd be smart for them, and I, I believe there's so many holes that they're going to need more players. You know, they, they got to have competition at training camp. Otherwise, that team's not going to do any better. You know, they could be I the very just, best team in the in the history of the NFL of going. Uh, what would it be? Three and fourteen. You know, and I think at this point, that's almost my prediction. Here's the thing about constructing a team that we should all know and appreciate. The players are the ones that get it done. They're the ones that want to win. They're the ones that are going to go out on their own time, out in the park, and work. And so for teams on the cusp like the Raiders, and I know there's going to be a team meeting to where they're going to decide what they're going to do, and there was something written in in, uh, Pro Football Talk about how the team's insurance won't pay for, you know, broken ankles or whatever it is if you get hurt at a, at a city park in a non-pro field. So it's up to the team to really put their foot down and say, you know what, the heck with it all. We're going to get shots, we're going to train, and we're going to be a step ahead of everybody else because we want to win next season. And I think that's exactly yeah, what uh, and, 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 and And you're right, and I think that um... – you know, I can I can safely say that there's there's a there's a contingency of Raiders that are with you. They want to get out there and practice. It's a very very young team, um, and, uh, uh, and and they're tired of excuses. They missed last. You know, for, for think about these young guys like Henry Ruggs and Clee Farrell and Max Crosby and Jonathan Abram uh, and and and. Um, uh, Josh Jacobs, uh, all the young players, Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, Amik Robertson, Isaiah Johnson. Uh, I could go on and on of guys, of guys that are in their first or second season now, um, or heading into their heading into second or third years right now that have already missed an entire offseason of work. Yeah, or most of the offensive line even so. Exactly. Um, so, you, you know, so so when you, when you think about it from that perspective, this team, like like I don't like herd mentality. I understand some of the elements that these players are dealing with. I've talked to some players um, who are struggling between the what's the best for me, what's the best for the team that I play on, what's the best for the players' union as a whole. Uh, is more complicated than it seems. I know fans on Twitter is like, the Raiders have to get out there and practice. Well, please trust and understand me when I say there's a lot of players that agree with you, that totally agree with you. Not only do they know they need to be out there, they want to be out there. But when you're, when you're talking about you, a team, uh, a union, other players, negotiations, the owners, 17 games, trade-offs. You're a part of something that's bigger than you are. And that's an unfortunate part of all this. It's why players always talk about you don't realize what a business it is until you get into the business of it all. And this right now, there's players as we speak. As we speak, there's players in the NFL right now that are getting swept into something that they don't really want to be swept into. In fact, they have differing opinions uh, of 
what the collective opinion might be right now, or people that are above them are suggesting. You're exactly right, Vinny. You're exactly right. And there's different circumstances to everybody's home. Maybe uh, somebody's already gotten their COVID shot because, uh, one, they didn't like going through the protocol that they did to get swabbed every day, and two, they live with their grandma. So it might make more sense for them at home to have that shot and to say, hey, I'm ready. Let's go. And you're right. I'm a union guy. I'm all about the solidarity. And the biggest thing about unions is negotiation. So if the NFL, and I saw some dates put out that they want to stair-step the OTAs and the preseason, then the negotiations are going to happen. And I believe that these teams are, and they have a great need to try to get better because only one team was the champion. So all of them are in the boat that we want to be champions next year. And I think something will get worked out to where the fans pretty soon and the media pretty soon will be able to watch them practice. Yeah, uh, and, and I agree with you, uh, Ray Dave. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, so, uh, soon, hopefully. Um, the thing is with all of that is, um, you know, this isn't a, you know, we talk about unions, obviously, and uh, there's a teachers union, there's a police union, there's all sorts steel workers union, all of that. And, and, um, and I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a union person myself. Uh, I, obviously, I think there's merits, there's protection, uh, there's a collective way to look at things so that as a group, we all benefit and we all reap the rewards uh, of it. But in professional sports, there's also an individual, there's an individual aspect uh, in terms of everybody's on a different journey and a different timeline of that journey. So where J.C. Treader, who uh, for, for his own reasons, and I respect them, um, you know, believes, hey, I don't need OTAs anymore. I don't think we need OTAs anymore. But he's speaking from a player whose journey is at the point it is. And really only using that perspective when as the president of a association or a union, you can't just look at it singularly like that. You have to look at it for the entire group. And the entire group of the union also includes guys that are just now starting, guys that haven't created their niche, guys that are still working for that second contract, guys that are just working for an opportunity, guys that are on the cusp of maybe turning the corner and winning a starting job, uh, but need more development. For those players, and there's a lot of them, and J.C. Treader was one of them <laughs> not long ago. He was one of those players. Do you think six years ago, seven years ago, or whenever J.C. Treader uh, uh, was drafted into the NFL or, or arrived in the NFL, do you think J.C. Treader at that point in his life would have been going around saying, I don't need OTAs. I don't need off-season programs. No, he wouldn't be saying that because he understood and was smart enough to understand. I need this. I this is this is this is going to get me to that next level, which is where he's at right now. But it sure seems to me like he's forgotten some of the steps that it took uh, for him to get there, and even worse, 
He's going to sabotage those steps or undercut some of those steps for future players, young players like he used to be, and saying, you know what, I'm not going to, in the position that I'm in and the perspective that I currently have, I'm going to advise taking those steps away that I already utilize, that I already use to climb to my position as a veteran NFL player, you know, uh, a, a good solid center in the NFL, the president of the Players Association, the very steps that I climbed to get here, I'm just going to saw, I'm going to take away from younger guys that are following me. How short-sighted and frankly selfish is that? Because J.C. Treader just doesn't want to get back out there uh, in April and May and, and work. That's really what this is all about. He's just saying, you know what, I'm above it. I've done it already. I don't need it anymore. And maybe he doesn't. But the rookie that's behind him might. The rookie class that's getting ready to play for the uh, for the Browns, I'm not even going to say might. They do. The young player that, uh, you know, they, they're, they're grooming alongside him, that young linebacker or whoever it is that they draft uh, or that second-year guy that's making a position change. There's a lot of guys, probably the majority of them on his very team, let alone the rest of the league, that do need OTAs. You've got teams that have switched coaches. You've got teams that are changing coordinators. You've got a new offensive system uh, in, in Los Angeles with the Chargers. You've got a new defense here in Las Vegas with the Raiders. You could go on and on and on um, and, 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 uh, and, and point out examples of teams that are, you know, transitioning from one system to a next or look at the Raiders offensive line. <laughs> you know, Denzel Good is going into the season. Maybe he's the left guard or right guard. Maybe he's the right tackle. Andre James is going to, you know, uh, compete with Nick Martin for the center job. Neither one of those guys was in the picture, relatively speaking, this time last year. Andre James was the decided backup to Rodney Hudson. He was only going to play in an injury-type situation. Now, he might be the starting center for the Raiders. Alongside a new starting guard, Richie Incognito, who's coming off a, uh, an Achilles injury. And who the heck knows who's going to play right tackle right now? It might be a rookie. You don't think that rookie needs OTA? So I'm going on and on. But there's reasons why there is a need for players to get onto the field at this time of the year to put what they've learned in the classroom out on the field and get reps and develop chemistry with their teammates and understand what their role is and their cadence and their understanding of the playbook. And J.C. Treader, I, I hate to single him out, but he is the Players Association uh, president, is going to cut those steps out for a bunch of young players and a bunch of teams because, you know what, he's already used those steps. He took advantage, full advantage of those steps to get where he got. And he's going to tell the next uh, the, uh, the next generation, the next group, nah, I don't need it, so you don't need it. So go figure it out on your own. I think it's just uh, impossibly arrogant 
and selfish. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. It's the... Good. What's good? By the way, uh, one other thing uh, about the uh, OTAs and about the Players Association uh, kind of urging teams to uh, to, to skip it. Um, there's there's reasons why uh, this will hurt players too. Uh, and again, guys like J.C. Treader, um, the president. I, I think he's he's looking at this really short sighted. But I'll tell you what. Um, you know, if you're if you're let's say Corey Littleton, or if you're uh, Denzel Good, if you're Jalen Richard, uh, if you're Jeff Heath, um, there's reasons why uh, you, you want to be part of OTAs. There's money reasons why you want to be uh, uh, part of OTAs. They're called workout bonuses, and guys structure their contract in a way. You remember how we talked about. Uh, how you get around um, or you manage the salary cap uh, by converting actual salary, which counts against the salary cap um, and, and, and ways to, to, to bring down yearly salaries that count against the cap uh, by prorating um, certain things um, in order and, and counting them as bonuses, signing bonuses and roster bonuses and workout bonuses. Well, workout bonuses. Um, okay. Uh, workout bonuses mean showing up to OTAs and getting your work in. Denzel Good. Denzel Good, okay, of he's going to make one point six nine million dollars next year. Okay, he's also got a one uh, 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 hundred ninety or, or one one point nine five million dollar roster bonus that's coming to him, um, and. He's got a 480,000 workout bonus that comes to him if he shows up and puts the work in during OTAs. Nick Wachowski has a $250,000 workout bonus. Carl Nassib has a $250,000 workout bonus. Darren Waller has a $250,000 uh, uh, workout bonus. Corey Littleton has a $250,000 workout bonus. Derek Carr has a $100,000 workout bonus. Uh, Dalen Richard has a $125,000 workout bonus. And Jeff Heath has a $100,000 workout bonus. Now, uh, remember when um, Corey Littleton redid his contract last year, shortly after signing it, to bring his salary number down in a way that created more salary cap space for the Raiders? Remember when he did that? Yeah, Part of the way you do that is restructuring the contract. So, and 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 uh, again, you convert salary to to bonuses. And I'm gonna almost guess and guarantee that that two hundred fifty thousand dollars that he's gonna get on that workout bonus was part of the restructure that he did with his contract. Same with Carl Nassib. Remember, he took a pay cut. He didn't take a pay cut necessarily. What he did was restructured his contract to lower his salary down this year in a way that took down the, the salary convert by converting sal- some part of that salary to a signing bonus. And I'm going to pretty much just guarantee and throw it out there that Carl Nassib 
$250,000, that reflects part of that restructure. I'm not sure about Nick Wachowski, uh, but chances are uh, his might as well. The point being, those guys stand to lose a lot of money if they don't go to um, – if, if, the, if the Players Association kind of puts – the knuckles on them and says, Hey guys, we're all going to try to do this as a, as one group. So everybody fall in line. Well, for some guys, that's going to mean uh, a, a, a pretty big, uh, you know, loss in terms of uh, money. And I don't think that's right. I think guys should have, you know, first of all, I think, I think they need to work this out. I think that OTAs are definitely needed. I don't think all veteran players, uh, that's why they call it voluntary. So, um, uh, you know, uh, not all players have to be there. I don't think all players necessarily have to be there. But I think large portions of teams do need OTAs. I think it's important, especially for a young team like the Raiders uh, and other teams around the league, especially for teams that are switching coaches, changing uh, coordinators. Um, it's just you can't groupthink this one. You can't singularly... Think this one. If you're J.C. Treader, you have to be looking out for yourself and fellow veterans um, with the same intensity that you do the younger players. And those younger players, you can't just forget about them. Uh, and you can't have used the same exact steps that you're trying to take away from them to get where you got. That's just selfish thinking. You're in the huddle with Big Monster. Thank you so much for spending your Wednesday with us. I appreciate uh, uh, everything that Demond Cotton does, our great producer. Thanks to Ted Wynn from The Athletic for joining us. Appreciate all the calls and enthusiasm. We're back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. Vinny Monsignor in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.